The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. All right, we got a little different Matt Hasselbeck show today as Matt is uh, on location. Matt, good morning. What's up? Yeah, I'm in Dallas. I'm in Dallas at a ranch. We've got some uh, board meetings here for IJM, International Justice Mission, and we've got some uh, baseball players and football players here. It's a a great group. It's it's been a great week. All right, well, you say it's a great group of of players. I mean, what kind of of talent are you rolling around with here? Uh, I mean, we've got the, the Clayton Kershaw family, the Albert Pujols family, the Adam LaRoche. We've got on the baseball side and the okay. football side. It's guys like me and Trey Burton, Mark Herzlick. So it's, it's a good it's a good group. IJM's a great, great organization. We've supported them for, I don't even know, since I was in Seattle. And, uh, and they're just a great organization. They, they mostly deal with uh, fighting human trafficking and, uh, and really some terrible stuff. But uh, wow. it's, a, it's a great organization. And we're down here on a ranch, you know, just kind of a small group of people in a really inspiring place to try to come up with some big ideas on, uh, you know, how we can move forward. And uh, it's been a great week so far. I'll tell you what, man, that sounds like a pretty cool way to spend your retirement, honestly. Getting to, getting to do stuff like that after a, a career in the NFL and work on causes that you feel like can really make a difference. That's got to be uh, incredibly rewarding. Yeah, you know, you know what? Part of the other great thing is just like being with, uh, like, I'll use Clayton Kershaw as an example. I've just known him from afar. I've never met him personally, and just kind of known him as a fan. And just to like, you know, spend time and listen to him and what he's passionate about, and how how he leads in his locker room, how he leads in his league, and how he leads in his community. You know, just kind of cross referencing those sports. Let's say like like Benjamin Watson and his wife are here, and like mm. you know, Benjamin to me is a great leader also, and For just sure. to really just be in the same room with guys that are uh, from different backgrounds and living in different you know kind of live different worlds but it's similar in a way too it's been uh it's been great it's been energizing and uh, i'm just happy to be a part of it well and hey if you want to talk to clayton about how you know you really enjoyed your time in seattle and it's a great fan base and they support the mariners <laughs> and if he wants to do a short-term deal to maybe come up here and help them win a world series what that would mean to this community you know don't mind selling okay. a little bit matt if you don't mind uh, uh- I'll mention it. We mostly have been talking about the uh, Matthew Stafford, you know, his good buddy growing up down here in Texas, uh, his high school buddy and, you know, the, the Rams. And he grew up a Cowboys fan and now roots for the Rams because Stafford's his buddy. But yeah, it's, uh, I'll, I'll mention that. I'll throw Thank in you. the little Mariners. Appreciate that. Yeah, Thank you, Matt. That's what's nice of you. Hey, speaking of Stafford. So I got to tell you, I, I feel like my like foundational beliefs about the NFL have been shook over the course of these playoffs. I mean, like I have been for years and I know you'll just make fun of me for this, but on the whole Matthew Stafford, big arm quarterback, yada, yada. Let's see him win a big game. Too many picks. Give me the guy, you know, who doesn't throw an interception, who shows up in the final two minutes, does the clutch things. And Stafford's not one of those guys. And now all of a sudden he's sitting here playing in a Super Bowl, a Bengals organization that has been cheap and a bad organization forever and ever has been turned around in just two years. Like, it feels like everything I knew about the NFL and quarterback play is, like, disintegrating. Yeah, I think all those things were true, actually. I mean, those things were all true, and people know it, and they work at it. You know, I think even Matthew Stafford realized it when he asked to get out of Detroit. He said, you know what, I need to get in an organization that is, uh, you know, going to be healthy for me. Like, get me around a great quarterback coach. Like, you don't get to pick where you get drafted. You don't get to pick who your coaching staff is going to be, who your ownership group is going to be. And, you know, for Matthew Stafford, 
this has been a little bit of a work in progress with Sean McVay. Like they started the year lights out, you know, on fire, and then they kind of lost their identity a little bit. And he got back to the, you know, for a stretch there, he got back to playing like Detroit Matthew Stafford, where he was forcing it to a star receiver the way he forced it to Calvin Johnson once upon a time. And I, I believe Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford have worked together to get, you know, to be to help Matthew Stafford become a, a much, much better quarterback, a winning quarterback, and not a guy. I mean, quite honestly, you can find bad film of Matthew Stafford in the middle of the year, but you can also find incredible film. And I and I think that's just been like a, a little bit of a in one year a work in progress. And they've added some pieces where now he's got a chance to 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 play and possibly win a Super Bowl. But it, it wasn't always roses. We may remember it that way, but it, it, I, I can promise you, this year it hasn't been smooth all the time what are the most important qualities for a quarterback in today's nfl coachability uh, to me coachability i spend i spend a good amount of time on the phone with uh, tom brady's quarterback coach who you know i think i've told you guys the quarterbacks that he has coached in the nfl are peyton manning who's peyton manning's quarterback coach in indy and then he had andrew luck and now he has had tom brady and so i really value what that is like coaching sort of thoroughbred horses, if you will, like that. And one of the things that, you know, the common denominator with those three guys, especially Brady, is just the coachability. Like the most humble guy in the quarterback room comes in like he has no idea, like he's just a beginner's mentality, like he's a rookie, like, all right, coach, taking notes, just, you know, asking good questions. And I just think that that's probably, if I had to pick one thing, because um, there's a lot of ways to do it, but just be really being on the same page and, and being willing to work at your craft and get better and, and allow give, giving someone permission to critique you is an important part of the you know piece of the puzzle being a quarterback. Uh, you were also watching, and, and I think we saw it and got kind of hammered home this past week with Brady's retirement and Aaron Rodgers bound out of the playoffs early, you know, and then watching this next young group kind of do what they've done. How do you see this next generation of quarterbacks? maybe changing the league and, and how the game is played. Yeah, they're incredible. I mean, I don't know what you think, but these guys are incredible. I think they're they're so much better than the quarterbacks that have come before them in terms of just overall talent, athleticism, how they can throw the ball, what they can do with the ball, what they're at, what we ask of them at the line of scrimmage. I mean, there was a time and place where Teams are playing a few coverages. They may have a few blitzes. Now, now the stuff that defensive coordinators are inventing, partly because the offenses are changing, we're asking them to do RPO game, play action game, drop back game, empty game, uh, call three plays in the huddle at once, no huddle, like all the different things. And you, I just, the Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomes, the Joe Burrows, like the, the baton has been passed in my mind from Tom Brady and to, to like this next generation of guys who are, I mean, just truly, truly remarkable. Burrow, especially right now, he's playing some, some great football. So who does he remind you of Joe Burrow? He reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. He really does because a lot of the things that he does, it's like, I don't think I would coach you to do that again. <laughs> like that, that was a risky, risky thing. And, and, and in, a, in a way, like he creates so many big plays, but he also takes a lot of sacks, which is kind of a, you know, that's a, that's a balance that's hard to coach to. I mean, he was sacked 62 times going into this last game, 62 times. But I will say this, he only lost two fumbles on the entire year and he wasn't banged up from it at all. And so, so like, 
I don't know. He's just, he's a guy that's a little bit unconventional. He's afraid of nothing. Um, and, you know, I think there's just something dangerous. Like when you, when you hear how defensive coordinators talk about the plan going up against him, it's almost like they're, they're not, they're not confident in what their plan is. And, uh, and it's been remarkable what he's done in such a short amount of time. I mean, he's taken, I mean, we were talking about it earlier. The Bengals organization has never been known as like a premier one. It's been cheap. And I remember hearing stories of, you know, you had to pay for extra socks and, you know, somebody would come here from the bank. Maybe it was even TJ Hushmanzada who would come here from Cincinnati to Seattle, right? And was like, wait, they'll just give me another pair of socks. What, what is this place? Mm-hmm. It's amazing that in essentially two years, Joe Burrow's taken the team from the worst team in, in this, in the league to being in the Super Bowl. That, that might be one of the most incredible turnaround stories of all time. Yeah, and, and sucks. That thing about being a cheap organization, like that was that was felt throughout the league. Like even when I was coming out in the college draft, like all the teams would send their scouts to the colleges. And the Cincinnati Bengals would send their coaches. And at first it was like, oh, wow, the Bengals must really like me or somebody on my team. They sent their coaches. And our agents were like, oh, no, no, no. They don't have a scouting department. <laughs> like, they're too cheap. They make their coaches coach and scout. Like, there, there, there are no scouts for the Bengals. Like, that, that's what the – and so when you're thinking about going and signing as a free agent, typically people didn't want to go to Cincinnati for that reason. You saw Carson Palmer force his way out of Cincinnati saying, hey, I'll retire before I stay in this organization. That was the sort of the reputation. And what they have done, they have completely built this offense through the draft. Tyler Boyd, Boyd, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, all those guys through the draft. And on defense, uncharacteristically, they have spent money. They went out and had some major like home runs on the defensive side of the ball and free agency. And so it's a really interesting thing. This is not what the Bengals have been traditionally, but that's what they did. And they play in a tough division and week nine, they were in last place in that division. And, and, you know, Joe Burrow and company, they, they just keep grinding and keep getting better. And here they are. It's so, you know, you hear you talk about that, Matt, and I think obviously, of course, about what's going on here in Seattle and trying to get this team back to being on the top of the mountain. And, you know, we've, we've had some conversation here in the last week about probably more the Rams and the way they've just gone all in in their approach. Get every free agent you can, spend to the max of the cap, go seven straight years without a first-round pick. Uh, it hasn't paid off for them yet. They haven't won a Super Bowl. But, you know, how, what do you make of that approach and whether or not the Seahawks should – you know, be 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 borrowing from it here. They've already used two first round picks on Jamal Adams. Should they be doubling down on those efforts to put whatever talent they can possibly acquire right now around Russ, no matter what it does to their future? Yeah, well, the, the Rams are a unique situation because they're new to this. They're new to the city, and they struggle even selling tickets to that game for their. I mean, you saw it even in the NFC Championship game. It was a sea of red. It was Niners Nation mm-hmm. there at. Uh, you know, at, at, at their, at that, you know, what was supposed to be a home game. I mean, Matthew Stafford's going on silent count and now they're hosting the Super Bowl. And so the, there's a lot of reasons that they would go all in. I was trying to make a splash in a Hollywood type town. Now it looks good and it softens the blow that they gave up the first round pick. Um, they gave up those two first round picks because now they're going to be in the Super Bowl and they're, those picks are now like 31 and 32. So like that helps, but I think it's a little bit uni- unique of a, uh, of a situation with the Rams going all in. And, and I think a little bit of time will tell, but um, 
that was definitely a risk. And, and, and you know, we, we said on our show, Teddy Bruschi said it. He said Sean McVay traded away all his excuses when he made this trade. I mean, all his chips were on the table going and get his, going and getting his quarterback. And it has definitely worked out. And, and I think there's something around the league right now where people are saying, you know what, if we have a good team, but we just don't have the quarterback, it doesn't matter what we have to pay. Let's pay it and just get that quarterback piece. Because you saw Tom Brady come in in his first year and win a Super Bowl. Now you see Matthew Stafford come in and in his first year and possibly win a Super Bowl. So I think that's the trade. That that's the trend. And I think if you'll see anything, you'll yeah. see teams going all in trying to trade for an elite quarterback to see if that can just get them over the hump. Yeah. And obviously it sounds like Aaron Rodgers may be available. And, you know, I, I want to get to kind of what happened here with this lawsuit yesterday with Brian Flores in a moment, but mm-hmm. it, I mean, you know, the Steven Ross allegations are brutal in a number of ways, but they do speak to what you just said. The idea of either tanking for the number one overall pick to get the quarterback or tampering in order to bring in the, you know, elite level quarterback. It does show some of the desperation an ownership group or an organization will go through to, to, to get that number one guy. It's a changing, it's really a changing vibe in the NFL right now where, you know, in other sports you've heard about tanking or maybe like not wanting, you know, basically selling off the roster so that you could build for the future. That was never really something I ever felt in the NFL. Like never once in my life could I ever have imagined someone saying, Hey, we're maybe not going to do everything we can to win this Sunday. And you're almost seeing a shift in that. And like some of the things that the whispers around the league about, um, you know, well, maybe we take a long-term approach to this and we just kind of punt on this season. Like that, that, that was crazy talk once upon a time. So, um, yeah, it, it is interesting. And, and I'm not, and I'm not sure, you know, I'm not up to date completely on, on some of the, the Stephen Ross in the, Brian Flores type stuff, but I will say just quickly about Brian Flores. He's one of the greatest um, guys that I know, and uh, and I'm I'm a huge fan and known him a long time. He was college roommates with my youngest brother, and uh, just a huge fan of Brian Flores. Tell me a little bit more about him, and, and without even getting into the you know the the lawsuit, yeah, he's become an interesting figure in all this because of what he is risking, right? Potentially his career mm-hmm. as a head coach in order to stand up for something he believes. Uh, we talked to Andrew Brandt, who I know you've got a relationship with, right? He was, uh, did mm-hmm. your first deal. And, uh, and Andrew was telling us today that he's not even really seeking monetary damages. There's some, but the, the, the primar- primary part of this lawsuit is not monetary. He's seeking injunctive change. He's essentially seeking the league to make changes to its policies and transparency and, and in uh, documentation and their hiring process. Tell me a little more about who Brian Flores is. Yeah, he, he's a leader. I mean, he's a leader of men. And, you know, he's only been with one organization in his, in his coaching career. So he played at Boston College and then after college took a job, a low level job with the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, a guy in his twenties working as many hours in the week as there are hours and just has worked his way up, worked his way up all the way to the point where he's essentially the defensive coordinator. And then he goes in his very next job, the very next organization he works for. He's the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He'd never been in another organization besides the New England Patriots. Really, everything that he does or knew as a coach, he learned from Bill Belichick. And that was his, um, you know, his mentor, his, his, his work partner, and all of it. And sometimes, you know, like sometimes you go into a, a new head coach situation, you see some of those people that come from the Belichick tree, 
they, you know, they're, they're maybe uh, a little more direct and maybe not as soft with the media and maybe they're not like walking softly with a big stick, so to speak. I mean, it's just, this is how we're doing it. Um, and so that, that's what I know about him as a, as a person, as a coach, he's a leader. He doesn't back down from anything. It's one of the reasons that the players love him so much. It's one of the reasons that guys who, who coach with him love him so much. Um, but, but again, I, I just think the courage that he has shown to step up for not only what's going on right now, but also to step up for those who come after him is, is, uh, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it, it's been an interesting day talking about this, and we'll see what happens. I mean, this is a class action lawsuit. So far, he's the only name on it, but I don't think it's going to surprise anybody if his name is joined by other black coaches in and around the NFL with similar allegations to what he said as well. We may see some legitimate you know, forcing of the hand of NFL owners and the, and the league in general in terms of its hiring practices. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And, 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 and the league has talked about, you know, a lot about how this is important to them. Well, this would be an opportunity for them to, uh, to back that up and to, to prove that this is important to them. Matt, uh, the other story, of course, that came out yesterday morning, uh, and I've been, I don't know that we've ever really talked much about him is Tom Brady's retirement. Uh, after all of the success he's had in the NFL, um, it, what, what's your relationship with Brady? Do you know him well? Yeah, good relationship. I mean, we, we were starters. Uh, we became starters in the NFL at the same time, 2001. Uh, kind of known the, the all versions of Tom, like the, the young six-round pick. We were both six-round picks. Uh, I kind of joke on our uh, with Rex Ryan because Rex Ryan's always complaining that he never had a star quarterback. And I said, Rex, you know, since 2001, sixth-round quarterbacks have a better winning percentage in the NFL than first-round quarterbacks. Like, you're aware of that, right? <laughs> now, Tom Brady is obviously the reason for that. I'm, I'm a distant, distant second. But um, but together, anyway. But, you know, I just – I really I really respect how he has improved as, as he's gone on. And then, you know, I think just uh, – I kind of mentioned earlier just the coachability and 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 how he has just worked at his craft like when i remember when i was 34 years old the like players didn't play quarterbacks didn't play much past that age and it was almost like all right well you're washed up you're done you can't play anymore and i didn't necessarily feel that way because of my age like there were times where i felt like i couldn't play anymore because of injury but it never felt that way because of my age and then tom brady just pushed the ceiling and just push the standard for what guys could do at a, at a at an older age and how and how how long they could play. And you see guys now. You see guys like Russell Wilson talking. He wants to play longer, and Aaron Rodgers is going to play longer, and all, all these guys. So just his leadership in 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 that regard of kind of just you know like dreaming bigger. It's been really cool, I think, for the NFL quarterback community. I think Brady is one of the things that's interesting about him is the way his sort of the way he's thought of and looked at changes over the years. Right. He kind of starts off as this comes out of nowhere overnight success story. He's got the backpack slung over his shoulder. And, you know, he just seems like somebody that all of American relate to. You get the the moment when he wins the first Super Bowl and he puts his hands to his head and he just seems so shocked and the confetti's behind him. And, you know, it's right after September 11th. It just has this almost all American out of nowhere success story feel to it. And you fast forward 20 years and, you know, he's won seven Super Bowls and half of America hates him because of his success. And he's a stone cold killer on the field and set every record. I mean, that that evolution over a 20 year span is pretty I don't know. I can't really think of anybody else who who lives up to all of that. 
Well, I mean, the most impressive thing is like when you go so big time, like he is right now, I mean, he, his teammates all love him. Like the, the people in the building love him. And then that's sometimes it can be kind of like, Oh, you're better than us in the locker room situation. And, and that's really not it. Um, and, and I think that's probably, you know, one of the lessons for any young quarterback or any young, uh, someone who's has a lot of success is not really forgetting sort of what got you there and his hard work and his work ethic is, is something that they respect, but how he treats people and how he isn't above anybody else, I would say is even, even probably more valuable as a member of the team so, and something to look up to. So it's interesting when I asked you earlier about quarterback qualities that are important, you know, you didn't go with accuracy or decision-making or arm strength or, you know, even availability, which we talk about a lot. You know, one of the things I've asked Brock about over the years, he always seems to bring up, is the importance of relatability for a quarterback mm-hmm. and the ability to relate to different sections of the locker room. How, how much time did you spend thinking about that uh, as a quarterback yourself? Yeah, you, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't know that I thought about it, but looking back, it was, it was very important. You know, there's something endearing um, to your teammates when they know that you've had the struggle that they're having, that you've, been, you've had to fight for something, something wasn't handed to you. Um, you know, and I, and I think that's something that Brady had naturally, you know, he had a, you even hear from all the, he, he wasn't even guaranteed to be guaranteed to be the starting quarterback at Michigan for the most of the time that he was there, you know, never mind making the team in new England. I mean, pick 199. You guys have seen the combine videos, what he looked like, what his 40 time looked like. There's really nothing that wows you at the combine about what he had, what he was bringing to the table. But it's sort of that inner drive, his leadership style. And I think ultimately when your best players who play their best football on Sundays are also coachable and humble and hardest workers, like that, that's a great, that's a great thing. And obviously the, his success is well documented. I will say this though, Sock. I thought it was hilarious how when Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington reported that he was retiring, how like there was this moment of everyone was like, no, he's not retiring. Let me tell you something. You could just book this. Okay. If Adam Schefter reports it, it's true. Like it's, it's coming because that dude sits on more information than, than most people know. So uh, I had complete confidence that when once Schefter said it, it was, it was a fact. Now, are you like texting buddies with Brady? Like, are you close enough to like drop him a text to say congratulations? Uh, I could, I did not, I did not. Um, you know, I've, uh, he's, I think he's just like, there's a quarterback community. Like the last time I talked to him in person was down, I think before a Monday night game, um, maybe two years ago. And he's just a really, really sincere guy. And I think this is kind of partly what Teddy Bruschi and Randy Moss have talked about a lot. And I completely agree with it doesn't matter who you are on the team or it doesn't matter who you are as an opposing quarterback. He has these very, very authentic, sincere conversations with you. It makes you feel like, Hey, you, you really matter. We are really good friends. Now, can he really be that good of friends with everybody? No, like that's not technically possible, but he, he makes everyone feel like, Hey, he's my guy. Even the way he tags all of his teammates in his social media. I mean, here's a guy that has seven Super Bowl rings. He's in his 22nd year. He's 44 years old. Like, wh- why is he taking the time to, to shout out the left guard and the right guard and the linebackers and the DBs? Cause that's who he is as a leader. And that's what I've heard all year long from, you know, the guys that played with him in New England. And I would say as an opposing quarterback, 
uh, that he always made me feel that way as well. And so, I mean, um, yeah, I, I just I appreciate that humility and making everybody feel like uh, like like their friends. That's pretty cool, Matt. Thank you. Uh, sort of an abbreviated version today, since you uh, are doing some good charitable work. We're going to let you go uh, after just the one long segment here. So uh, we'll have Brock up next, and we'll do a normal ranking as usual, and then we'll have you back at home next week. Oh, nice. Tell Brock I'm actually going to see some giraffes. We've got some giraffes oh. here on the property, Steve, and Steve Grogan giraffes. They remind me of Steve Rogan and of Brock Heward. And Brock's going to say, I'm just predicting you now, he's going to say that I run like a giraffe on ice. I've heard him so say it any number of times, yes. That'll be his comeback. Yes. So I'll be calling it now. All right. Good to talk to you guys. See you, Matt. We'll talk next week. There you go. There's right. Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, joins us every Wednesday, uh, usually from 9 to 10, but since he's on the phone and you know busy doing some charity, since he's hanging out with Albert Pujols and Clayton hanging out Kershaw. with Clayton Kershaw and kind of that, that crew, you know, you can understand him. I did ask. I was go. like, did you bring any uh, like cowboy gear or anything for the ranch? Did you bring anything that looks right. the part? And he's like, no, I stay in my lane. I know where I'm from. He he's like, chaps. He said his wife did. Oh, <laughs> he said really? She dressed the part a little bit. Oh. No, I believe he said, no, I'm the guy in Lululemon with all these like giraffes and game <laughs> right. creatures around. Sounds right. And you know Matt's wife is like a better athlete than he is, right? So she's in the BC Athletic Hall of Fame. Matt is not. Ooh. Right. Like she was a world-class, I think, lacrosse, lacrosse player. player. Yeah. Or is it field hockey? I think she played lacrosse and his kids play field hockey, but maybe it's the other way around. I don't want to screw it up. I'm sorry if I screw that up. Sarah would be mad at me. But um, she's like a world-class athlete. So, yeah, she's able to pull off the cowboy stuff, Matt. Field hockey. He's not going to. She did field hockey. Sorry. She did field hockey. His kids play lacrosse. So that's uh, I screwed that one up. Sorry. Sorry, Matt. Sorry, Sarah. Sorry to the entire Hasselbeck family. All right. Uh, He did mention Brock. Brock will join us next, and then we'll rank things to finish it off. Mike Salk Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.